by way of review, um, background on the story of Philemon. Uh, Philemon is a slave owner uh, who lives in Colossae. Uh, the slave that he owns is named Onesimus. Uh, this is all pre-letter uh, of Philemon information here. Onesimus does something or Philemon does something, somebody does something so that Onesimus runs away. And Onesimus runs away to the city of Rome, uh, finds the apostle Paul in prison there, is converted to Christianity under Paul's ministry, which is really cool, right? One of the commentators that I read said, even though the servant of God be in chains, the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God are not. Which I thought, that was pretty cool. I like that. Um, and Paul sends Onesimus back to, uh, to Philemon in Colossae with the epistle of Philemon to be reconciled. Now, before we go any further, open up to the back of your Bibles in the uh, book of the maps. It's right past the book of the index. And, uh, and look how far. How far is Rome from Colossae in the back of your Bibles? It's about that far, right, Barry? It's about an inch. Yeah. Okay, so cartography is not our skill, right? <laughs> General estimate, how far Rome to Colossae? Just ballpark it for me. How many miles? 420. Did you just Google it? No, I haven't got that far yet. Oh, okay. Oh, he's guessing. From memory. How far? How far does it look? I actually don't know the answer. I'm, I'm waiting on somebody to help me out here. This will teach me to start with a math question, right? <laughs> the, direct, the direct line is a bit challenging, right? Yeah. 600 miles? Does that sound about right? Okay. So how long would that take? So in today's, in today's environment, 600 miles, can you pull that off in a day? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And 2,000 years ago, could you pull that off in a day? Absolutely not. Could you pull that off in a week? Probably not. Would it take, would it take in a while to do this? Um, you would have had to have been very motivated to pull this off in a week. Very, very motivated. Um, so if you think about it, Onesimus is going back to Philemon, and this is a long trip. And he's got plenty of time to think over all the options on what could happen here. Plenty of time. Now, we know that Philemon... Uh, that Onesimus, rather, was actually not alone on this journey. Uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul writes and he says that another guy went with Onesimus. Onesimus carried the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon, and this other guy carried the letter to the church in Colossae. Anybody know the other guy's name? This would be incredibly amazing if anybody pulled this one off. Starts with a T. So I heard it. No, not Timothy. Tychicus. Yeah, his mama stuttered. That's the only way I can figure that one out. Tychicus. So Tychicus and Onesimus, how'd you like to, yeah. So we're signing you up for a room tonight. What are the names? Yeah, never mind. T-N-O, that's it. Okay. So these two guys are traveling back, and they get to Colossae. Tychicus delivers his letter to the pastor of the church at Colossae. Onesimus delivers his letter to Philemon, and so the story goes. Uh, this series, just a quick review, we spent two weeks getting up to the point in the letter where Paul's actually going to ask Philemon to do something. Today, we finally get to the point where Paul 
gets to the point. Um, oh, yeah. You like that? Random pictures, because we need to do this every once in a while. So Julie and I went to visit Justin and Carrie Harness yesterday uh, to see baby Olivia, Olivia Reese Harness. There she is. And I love this picture because it captures several things. One is my wife. She's awesome and smoking hot. Uh, two is baby Olivia. And three is Justin's focus when I walked in the room. And all the guys went, there you go. Because we know that that dude talks about one subject, and that is college football. There you go. Thank you. So that's a close-up of baby Olivia. Yes, we love you guys. All right, so a couple names to, to know as we go through. Paul is the guy writing this letter. Uh, Philemon is the main recipient of the letter. Uh, and Onesimus is wronged owner. And Philemon is kind of holding all the cards here. Uh, and one of the reasons I really like this story is that we don't know how it ends. We, all we know is that Philemon gets the letter. But we don't know what he necessarily does with it after that. Uh, Jesus shows up. We see the impact of Jesus' uh, message in Paul's life and Philemon's life and Onesimus' life in this letter. And then Onesimus is the slave that ran away, and he has returned. So I need somebody to stand up and read the letter of Philemon. Amen. Thank you very much. So that's what's going on. Philemon just gets this letter. He's just read it. What's his initial reaction, do you think? <laughs> That would be mine. I'd be like, eh, can I hide this? You know, maybe, perhaps. Probably not, because Paul said he might show up. You know, just in case, just in case, just put me a room together, because I may swing by later on. Uh, I'm probably not getting out of this one, right? It's a bit challenging there. So, this week we're going to be looking at uh, verses eight through sixteen. So let's take a look uh, at those specifically. So, verse eight. Therefore though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. To command you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such one as Paul, the aged, now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, um, you know, I could whip out the apostolic authority stick and beat you over the head with it and beat you into submission with it, right? Um, oh, I forgot. Bud, can you come over a sec? I meant to do something before class started. Um, there, there are times when we can command people to do things, or there are times, thank you, sir, there are times where we can ask people to do things because we don't have to command them. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> because there are some of you in this room that I can do that with, and that's your spirit. Your spirit is, yeah, absolutely. What do you need me to do? Cool. And, and as a leader... Leaders have to know when to play the, hey, can you do this? Versus the, you're, you're going to do this card. And, and Paul didn't have a problem playing the, you're going to do this card. And if you think he ever did, just read Corinthians. <laughs> the number of imperatives in Corinthians, oh my goodness. It's, you will do this because I'm coming to check up and this is the way it's going to be. He pulled out his apostolic authority card, right? <clears throat> and said, we're playing this one now. Now, how many of you play Rook? Anybody play Rook? How many of you are good at Rook? <laughs> Barry Cole's like, yes, I'm good at Rook. Amy, are you good at Rook? You think you can beat Barry Cole at Rook? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, can she beat you at Rook? Probably, but you said you were good. Okay. 
Not that good, though, right? <laughs> Maybe. Depends. What the, it, it, but in the game of Rook, there is one special card that beats them all. And if you've got that card, it does not matter what else has been played. You win that trick. And that card is the what? The Rook. Doesn't matter what else is played. That's it. You win that hand. And Paul, in the first century church, the apostles had the rook card because Jesus gave them the authority to take this thing and to run with it and to build up the church. And Paul could play it at any time he wanted. And he was a master at knowing when to do it. And here, he didn't. Now, let's think about this in our own lives for just a second. How many of us have kids? Kids, yeah. How many of you have ever told your kid you are going to do this, right? Exactly. All the same set of hands, right? How many of you have ever asked your children to do something? Yeah? Which would you rather do? Ask. Why? Yeah, the whining doesn't start initially, right? That, that generally helps. It, it's about their growth. It's about giving them opportunities to do it on their own, right? And that's what Paul is demonstrating to us here. He's demonstrating both to all believers that we don't just go around bossing each other around, and he's demonstrating to church leadership there are times when you carry a very, very soft stick. And you just you ask, and that's okay. And it's a great, great example uh, for this. Now, so what are some implications? If Paul had commanded Philemon to do this, what are some implications of that? Good, good point. This, the situation could occur again, and Esmus could run away again, and then what would Paul have to do again? Command him again. So the lesson wouldn't be learned. Why, what else would happen if Paul had to command Philemon to do this? What's that? Resistance, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I love you guys, but I am the most important person in the world. <laughs> Julie's like, no. <laughs> right? I mean, don't, don't we each think? And when somebody tells us that we're going to do something, just bristle a little bit, right? When was the last time somebody told you you were going to do something as an adult? This morning. <laughs> That's a married man right there, maybe. How many, how many of you have had somebody tell you you're going to do something that was not your spouse this week, this past week? Wow. That's a lot. Abby, what was yours? Oh, pick one. Okay, that many. Was this your boss at work? Okay. Well, that's cool. Your mother. All right. Your mother. You're going, how'd that make you feel? You're going to do this. Okay, for your grandma, so you're doing it. Did anybody get upset this week when somebody told you you were going to do something? Just initially? Stacy? Yeah, I'm with Stacy. Because I got told I was going to do something this past week. By someone who was very powerful. But when I was told I was going to do something, Jim bowed up. Now, we were on the phone, and the guy on the other side of the phone couldn't see it, but I, I stood up in my cubicle. 
I'll show you. I'm standing. Yeah. yeah. But you know that feeling though, right? And, and what is Paul trying to develop here? Paul is trying to develop a relationship. He's trying to build this relationship back up. And you don't always get that accomplished by going around and thumping people on the head and telling them you're going to do this. Um, so some neat implications from that. Now, some of you, uh, when we were reading through that passage, if you look at verse uh, 9 in your text of your, your scriptures in front of you, does, how many of you have the word aged in verse 9? Raise your hands. How many of you have the word ambassador in verse 9? Nobody has ambassador in their Bible? Really? There's several different translations that have it. Old man? Okay. How many of you have some version of old man? or a, oh, There we go. Okay, I was going to say the Greek word for old man and the Greek word for ambassador are one character off. They're one character difference between the two. My brain, when I first read that, went, we don't know how to read the Greek language, the guys that translated our English Bibles. That seems kind of strange to me. You would think they'd be kind of on top of that, right, the difference between the words. Well, there's a really neat concept that I've taught before. The Greek word for witness, marturos, the Greek word for witness, because the Christian witnesses all got killed for what they were talking about, the meaning of the word changed from I tell what I know to I died because I told what I knew. It translated into our English word martyr. Same thing here. This word originally started out as just describing old men. Well, there were very few jobs for old men in Rome in this time. So what they would do is they would use the old men as ambassadors. Right, so the word gradually changed meaning into ambassador. And depending upon which word you have in your Bible kind of shows which translation philosophy that you have. But So uh, verses 10 and 11. Did I skip a blank there? I did, yes. Paul demonstrates true meekness with asking as opposed to commanding. Gary's got a great definition of meekness, and it's strength under control. And Paul had a great deal of, I hate this word, spiritual strength that he could play, and he didn't. So it's strength under control, that's meekness. So verses 10 and 11, I appeal to you, this is Paul's appealing to Philemon, for my son Onesimus. Now we're in verse 10, and this is the first time Onesimus' name shows up. We're almost halfway through. The first time his name shows up. So now Philemon knows this is what we're talking about. I appeal for you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now I asked for a lot of input from a lot of people on what your initial views were when you read Philemon, right? And I had somebody tell me that was really kind of strange that they let Paul have a wife and have kids while he was in prison. That seemed a bit strange to me. And that's a little bit off of where this is going. Okay? This is talking about somebody that led someone to the Lord. You're their spiritual father. I, I hate that terminology because there's some idea of you're up there and it's this woo relationship. And it's, you know, you just share Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Just what we're supposed to do. So, whom I have begotten while in my change. Uh, Paul does this in several other places in the New Testament, calls 
the Galatian believers, my little children, folks that he has personally led to the Lord. That's all this is talking about. So part of your homework last week was to find out what Onesimus' name means. Did anybody go look it up? Useful. Another word for useful is profitable, which is kind of cool. Because if you read verses 10 and 11, I appeal to you for my son, profitable, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable, but is now profitable to you and to me. Paul does this constantly in his writings. He uses these play on, I mean, he's just, he's a very punny guy. He's, he's, I can't wait to meet him in heaven one day because I think he's going to make a joke the first time he meets you. We're, we all think he's this straight-laced, kind of serious, and I think he was a prankster. I think he was a prankster. He had way too much going on. So his name means profitable. Now, how many of you know what your names mean? Anybody know what their names mean? Barry, what does your name mean? Head of the spear. Yeah, I got nothing on that one. Um, Timothy, what does your name mean? Beloved. Awesome. Abby? Father's beloved. Oh, yeah. She, like, she trumped you there. She pulled the rook out. Fan. Right? Anybody else? Loyal and your name? Loyal and brave. That's awesome. Stacy? Resurrection. There you go. I like that. David, what's your name mean? Beloved? Julie? Youthful. Yeah, baby. Hoorah! Yes. Angel? Okay, cool. Michelle, you know what your name means? Like Christ, yes. Yes. Pure. All right, that's cool. Yes. You're Googling away right now, right? This is awesome. <laughs> yes. Dirt. That's right. Adam means dirt. Yeah. Yeah. When God... <laughs> you look around at all of creation, and what does he name man? He names man dirt. <laughs> yeah, we're still there. That's the way it works. How many of you know my name? My name is Henry. Yes, my name is not actually Jim. My name is Henry. Uh, Henry means ruler of the home. Booyah! <laughs> Rook, right there, baby. <laughs> um, how many of you have ever thought about what your name means and whether or not you live up to that? Yeah, be careful what you name your kids, right? Uh, my parents told me at a very young age what my name meant from a ruler of the home. And, and I grew up with Bible stories and learning about people that lived out behaviors that were consistent with their names. Um, so I've heard this my whole life, but his name means profitable. Um, it was actually the most common name for a slave at this time. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of records of slaves named profitable. Does this make sense to everybody? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, yeah, you're useful. That's cool. Woo, Onesimus, there we go. It was not uncommon to have more than one Onesimus as a slave in a house. I guess you've got numbers at that point, Onesimus 1, Onesimus 2, or I, I don't know how that would work. But his name means profitable. So he uses this all the way throughout in that, you know, he didn't used to be profitable, but now he is. And my question is, what was the difference? What turned him from unprofitable to profitable? There was something that tipped the scales. The answer is 
Jesus. Yes. Call Terry Bolden. Get the definitive answer from Israel again. <laughs> it's awesome. Yes. Last week, I called him and I said, "What's the answer, Terry?" He goes, "Jesus." I don't know. That's, that's all I got. Uh, but yeah, Jesus makes the difference. Jesus makes us go from unprofitable to profitable. I was explaining uh, baptism to my son yesterday, and he's terrified of going underwater. So we have this baptism talk every few weeks around. This is what it represents, and this is what it means. And he said, Daddy, now why do we have to go underwater? I said, okay, well, Jesus, when he died for our sins, what, what happened next? Well, he was buried. It's kind of like, duh, I know this one. I said, right, he was buried, and then what happened? Well, he rose again on the third day. I said, that's right, he rose again. And Caleb went, oh, that's really neat. It's like, yeah, it's a picture. Yeah, it's better than using dirt, right? Oh, wow. Be the Kill Bill philosophy for baptism. That'd be good. Uh, so, yeah, so this, this rebirth, this newborn, uh, but Onesimus' name means profitable. So, verses 12, 13, and 14, as we're moving on. This is Paul. Paul says, I am sending him back. And my question is, was it safe? Was this a safe decision? I cannot think of a better example. We're rolling the dice here. And what's Paul playing with? Onesimus is life. This is a life in the balance here. And I don't know how many times you've ever been asked for your opinion or your input or your counsel or your wisdom on something where somebody's life was in the balance. I don't know that I've ever been asked for my opinion when somebody's life was in the balance. But this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. What did Paul, this is almost a trick question, what did Paul have faith in? Yeah, the, the power of the gospel to change a life. That's what Paul had faith in, the power of the gospel to change a life. And we don't know the end of the story. We don't know what Philemon actually does. And it, I do not think it was safe to send him back. But... He did. And why did he send him back? Reconciliation is that important. It is a life or death matter. It is that important. We don't think about it that way. We think about, well, I'll just hold a grudge. Right? They can just stay mad. I don't really care. It's life or death. It's life or death. So, verse 15 for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. Um, we just finished a series in, uh, on Wednesday nights, the, the Stuart Heights University class that I went to. The name of the book was In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Not where I went to find myself, by the way, right? In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. This guy named Benaiah jumps in a pit, kills a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy people in the Bible. Right? Perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. In this book, the author talks about reframing things that have happened in your life to show God's hand and work throughout. So Paul could have said this a couple different ways. He could have said, Philemon, you know that Onesimus was an escaped slave. Not the way he words it. What does he say? Perhaps he departed for a while. <laughs> Are we using a bit of a soft language here to describe what's going on? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because what's Paul doing? He's reconciling. He's bringing people together because it is so incredibly important. So when you read verse 15, does verse 15 remind you of any other Bible stories? The prodigal son, yeah, absolutely. Departed for a while, and he's coming back. Anybody else? Perhaps departed for a while for this purpose. Joseph, yeah. Esther. Barnabas and Mark, absolutely. This, this is a common theme running through the Bible that somebody runs away and then comes back. And why would this theme be there? Because this is what we do. We run away and then we come back. And we run away and then we come back. It's great that the Bible covers all of these scenarios for us and pretty good to have. So verse 16, that you might receive him forever no longer as a slave but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? And this verse has been the cause of more controversy than probably any other verse in Paul's writings. Because people that throw stones at the Bible use this verse to say, Paul should have abolished slavery right here, right now. So the easy question is, does Paul abolish slavery with this verse? And the answer is, no, he doesn't. But he does a couple things here. Um, the best example that I read, if you consider, I've got a stool in my hand, if you consider the philosophy of slavery being supported by different legs, okay? The philosophy is supported by different arguments. What Paul does is he cuts them off one by one because property is not the same thing as your brother, right? So you cut the property leg off. More than a slave, cut the leg off. People throw rocks at God here and say that Paul should have abolished slavery. He cuts off the philosophy for it. It was just a matter of time before the whole thing crumbled. Now, is it God's fault that we as a race did not obey this verse and abolish it on our own? No, it's not. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that we didn't look at the scriptures and go, this should not be. When we experience reconciliation in our own relationships, is the relationship on the, on the good side of reconciliation better or worse than before? It's better because now we can rally around something that we have united around, right? And that's a good thing. It's, it's the whole concept of you break a bone and you don't break the bone in that same spot again because the, it fuses back together and it grows stronger at that point. Same concept here. So does Paul abolish slavery? No, but he cuts the legs out from underneath it. And, and if you think about what would have happened to this society if becoming a Christian meant that you were no longer a slave. Do you think that you would have a slave revolt to Christianity? It would have been absolute mass chaos. Now, if you're on the slave side of that, that just flat out sucks. No other way to put it. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. But the gospel, the intent, and please get this, the intent of the gospel is not to change society. 
It is not to change some cultural norm. The intent of the gospel is to change individuals into Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. And when we confuse good policy with changed lives, we get the gospel all mixed up. Because some folks believe that electing a politician that loves Jesus will bring about what the gospel intended to bring about, and it will not. The gospel will do the work of the gospel. Policy will never do the work of the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, so your blanks real quick. It says, uh, the gospel held Christian masters responsible for both the moral and the physical welfare of their servants. And there's a quote by Brian Smith. Brian did a series on Philemon earlier this year. It was fantastic. He said, we are not allowed to hold pre-Christ sins against a brother. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up with the additional thoughts next week. And what I want you to do this week is read Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16 because it throws a whole new wrinkle into this story. Where you kind of go, what in the world is going on with this? There's a lot of neat things going on. So we'll pick up with this slide next week. Thanks for coming, guys.